These are certainly dangerous days that we're living in. When Jesus warns you of an impending peril, you'd better listen to what he says. And his number one warning about these end times is to pay attention that nobody deceives us. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 4, Be careful not to let anyone deceive you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Now, this is scary because many rabbis in Israel right now who certainly do not believe in Jesus or Yeshua, as is his Hebrew name, many of them are saying that they're already in touch with the Messiah. But if they're not in touch with the risen Jesus, then tragically, many pretenders are waiting in the wings to deceive the masses. So there's never been a time like this when so many Christians are rightfully standing with Israel, and that's a good thing. That's a God thing. But we must also warn our Jewish patriarchs in the faith in Israel that a false Messiah is destined to appear before Jesus returns to earth. And on that point, nobody should be fooled. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. This season of the year that we're currently going through is what the Jewish people call the 10 days of awe which fall on the Hebrew calendar between the Jewish New Year, the Feast of Trumpets holiday, and Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. The expression, Days of Awe, refers to a solemn period of reflection and repentance on the Hebraic calendar for Jews. They want to walk circumspectly before God, asking for forgiveness and hoping to have their names inscribed in the Book of Life before judgment. But in a sense, I believe the phrase days of awe should apply to every day that we're privileged to be living in. Because these days that we're passing through, either until Jesus comes for us in the rapture or until our days on earth here are finished, we are seeing signs of the times of the birth pains of Messiah. And they seem to be increasing daily. This year, we've experienced a Passover holiday that was remarkable and different from all other Passover holidays since biblical days of the Exodus, 
when the children of Israel came out of bondage from Egypt. And certainly it was the most different Passover since the refounding of the modern state of Israel. Why? Because the population was locked down in their homes, unable to go out. Not because the angel of death was passing through Egypt, but because of fear of the coronavirus. And also this year, the Feast of Trumpets, the Jewish New Year, the Days of All, Yom Kippur, and the joyous Feast of Tabernacles are very different. And some would say oppressive because of another coronavirus lockdown. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the people are commanded to be joyful. But this time, it's as if the verse in Isaiah 26, verse 29, is coming to pass. And that verse says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. So these days are continually days of awe, 24 seven and 365 days of the year. And we have to be prepared. We as believers must be ready for the sudden appearing of Jesus in the atmosphere to take believers, the bride and Messiah, home to his father's house. And in the meantime, it takes a lot of courage to continue walking the walk of faith because the apostle Paul certainly warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, perilous times will come. Paul prophesied words of truth in reality that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. He said they'll be boastful, arrogant, abusive. Children will be lawless and disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and Generally speaking, people all around us, Paul said, will be unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, totally out of control like the anarchists and rioters we're seeing on the streets. People are going to be very brutal, hating what's good and loving evil, treacherous. And Paul prophesied there will be loads of traitors and truce breakers, reckless societies full of conceit being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a veneer of godliness, but denying the genuine power of God. But in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion, you and I are called to stay the course, to proclaim truth and specifically end time truth. Now, what do I mean by end time truth? Well, there are certain truths that will become evident in the last days, according to Bible prophecies. So it's of paramount importance that we understand the biblical signs of the time. Do you recall how during the time of Jesus's ministry on earth, he rebuked the religious leaders because they were unable to discern signs of the times. And so they missed the visitation of Messiah and instead, they dismissed him, even putting him to death. But all of that was prophesied and allowed in the providence of God because Jesus was sent by God on his first mission to earth to be the world's savior. And so it was ordained by God that his son should die as a sacrifice to be the lamb of God for the sins of the world. 
But one of the great end time truths that I want to zero in on today is that Jesus also has a second coming mission. And this world is being prepared right now for his second coming, when he will rule the world from Jerusalem for a thousand years, and the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Well, people laugh and they mock at the end time truth of Jesus intervening again with the second coming, because the only thing that's important to most people right now is climate change and so forth. But the Bible teaches that Jesus will return and establish the utopia that the world is really craving. And so we should really be ready, looking up and not despise Bible prophecy. Another sign of the times pointing to the soon coming great tribulation period before the second coming of Jesus. And this was prophesied not only by Jesus, but also by the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. That sign was the recent accords in Washington, D.C., called the Abraham Accords. Peace being made among the children of Abraham. And this is good. This is hopeful, right? And yet, according to the Bible, it's a double-edged happening because such a peace deal portends the day when a false peace covenant will be confirmed by the Antichrist himself in the last days. And that's the prophecy of Daniel 9, 27. And God's word simply cannot be broken. So signs of prophetic scripture are being fulfilled all around us. There are certain end time facts that must be accepted if we're going to have a view of history that's biblically correct and not just politically correct. And here are some of the facts. First of all, according to the Bible, modern Israel is a fulfillment of ongoing Bible prophecies. And the study of Bible prophecy is meant to prepare and purify our hearts to get ready for the Lord's return. The Bible devotes great sections to prophecy. So how can we in the church ignore talking about it? But professing Christians in many of the churches promote so-called dominion theology and replacement theology. And then they ignore end-time Bible prophecy, and therefore they just don't talk much about the second coming of Jesus. For example, dominion theology seeks to replace secular governments with a biblical government on earth, something that only Jesus himself will be able to pull off when he finally comes back and the government is placed firmly upon his shoulders at his second coming. And that's as Isaiah 9, 6 prophesies. On the other hand, replacement theology is the dangerous and erroneous view that the church has somehow superseded or replaced Israel in God's plan as his chosen people. That only the church is the recipient now of God's blessings and that the church has inherited all of God's covenants that he made with Israel. But the Bible refutes replacement theology because God is not a covenant breaker. Hallelujah. God says that even if we are not faithful, he will remain faithful. The Bible teaches that God will keep covenant with Israel even if they were not faithful to him. And aren't you glad that as a believer, you worship a faithful God 
who will be faithful not only to the Jewish people, but to you also? The era of replacement theology developed because early church fathers such as Augustine and later on during the Reformation, men such as Martin Luther, taught their disciples that the Jews were responsible for killing Jesus. These men were important for many good theological developments in the history of Christianity. Nevertheless, unfortunately, and very gravely, they departed from the very clear warning in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, not to rail against and despise the Jewish people. The churches became increasingly dominated by the Gentiles during the times of the Gentiles, but tragically, instead of remaining faithful to our Hebraic roots, the churches adopted the wrong belief that the Jewish people were forsaken by God. Such belief was unbelief and showed an appalling lack of understanding of the whole tenor of scriptures. To this day, we still have to correct the claim that the Jews killed Jesus. The truth is, all mankind in general, both the Jewish leaders and the Roman Empire, put Jesus to death. According to Jesus in John 10, 18, his death was voluntary. He could have avoided it. He could have called upon myriads of angels, but Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And why? The Bible explains in Acts 2.23 that it was God's own predetermined plan that brought about the death of Jesus. It was the perfect predetermined will of God Almighty, Yehovah Yireh, the God who provides that Jesus should be the Lamb of God on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And his voluntary work at the cross opened the way for redemption and for our relationship with him, with the Holy Spirit, and with God the Father forever. Well, many years ago in an epic dream, God called me to stand with the Jewish people in the last days when all the nations are prophesied to turn against Israel. And God is allowing Israel to be opposed because he himself is cornering his own Jewish people at this time, bringing them back to himself. My dream of standing with Israel on Mount Zion was a personal experience and calling, but it was also backed up with the truth of many prophecies in the Bible, such as Jesus' own Olivet Discourse and Zechariah chapters 12 to 14. Since then, God also sovereignly enlarged my heart with a deep and abiding love for the half-brothers of Israel, the surrounding Arab nations, and the Arabs who call themselves Palestinians. God revealed to me through his word that not only will Israel be a most favored, saved nation in the last days, but that also Egypt and Assyria, in fact, Arabia, will also be saved. So one reason why I appreciate the Christmas season even though the Bible does not teach that Jesus was born on December the 25th, is simply because I love to celebrate the biblical narrative of the wise men, the magi of Matthew chapter 2, who visited Jesus in Bethlehem after he was born. The amazing narrative of the magi should remind us in the Bible of 1 Kings chapter 10, which tells us that when the queen of Sheba, 
That's in Arabia, where the Gulf states are located that recently made peace with Israel. When she heard about the fame of King Solomon, the son of King David, and when she heard about Solomon's relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. The Queen of Sheba arrived at Jerusalem with a very great caravan of camels carrying spices and large quantities of gold and precious stones. What a picturesque narrative. And she presented Solomon with gifts of gold, spice, and precious stones. Well, as early as the second century, the church father Tertullian at least got that right. Tertullian considered the Magi in the narrative of Messiah's birth to be kings. And he connected the dots and argued that the visit of the Magi to Bethlehem fulfilled Solomon's prayer in Psalm 72, verse 10, which says, May the kings of Sheba present him gifts. But Tertullian also believed, as I do, that Isaiah chapter 60 is the most compelling evidence of the salvation of Arabia and of their kings bringing gifts to Messiah. I certainly thought of Isaiah chapter 60 during the recent Abraham Accords between Israel and her Gulf neighbors. It says, I love this, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The wealth of the nations will come to you. Caravans of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar, that's Arabia, will be gathered to you. These verses make us think not only of wise men from the east bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus at Bethlehem, but they should also make us consider his second coming in the soon coming millennial reign of Jesus when he will rule the region and the world from Jerusalem for a thousand years. So to me, it's wonderful to see the initial fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60 in Matthew chapter 2 because kings presented Arabian treasures to Messiah. And not only were there gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, provisions for the holy family's escape into Egypt, but those gifts were also prophetic pictures of Jesus' three offices as king, high priest, and savior. For example, the gift of gold represented his kingship. Frankincense represented his office as our high priest. And myrrh, which is used in embalming, prefigured his death, burial, and resurrection as the world's redeemer. Now, Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. Oh, I love these verses. Amazingly, prophetically explains Israel's history and destiny very succinctly in just a few words. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without teraphim. But it says, Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and that's an idiom for Messiah, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, since the dispersion and scattering of the Jewish nation by the Romans nearly two millennia ago, the Jewish people did indeed remain without any royalty or priestly functions. 
However, the many days of this prophecy will soon be finished because we have seen the return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land as this Hosea chapter 3 prophesied. And now I'm an eyewitness. They are beginning to seek for their king day by day, and many are fearing the Lord. Although part of the prophecy has already come to pass, the final fulfillment will be Israel's national repentance and summoning their true Messiah. I'm telling you great end time truths today. And all these events, as prophets Hosea and Ezekiel have prophesied, are going to happen right on schedule in the latter days, the end times. And the reality is backed up by the weeping prophet Jeremiah, who wrote in the Bible that it will come to pass in the last days that the nation of Israel will understand the reason for the necessity of the time of Jacob's trouble and everything that has befallen the Jewish people. You see, over in Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15, God foretold that he would abandon Israel, but only for a season because of their unbelief. He solemnly said in that verse, I will go and return to my place forever, no, until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. And in their affliction, they will seek me early. Hallelujah. God is promising here that he's going to no longer hide his face from the nation of Israel. And so what exciting times we're privileged to be living in. I mentioned that these are continually days of awe and we have to be prepared. We must be ready for the sudden appearing of Jesus in the atmosphere to take us home. Sometimes I have to repent for wasting valuable time when I should have remained better focused on doing the work of an evangelist in these dangerous days. You see, we've got to stay on course every day, never wasting a moment, always doing the right thing, and being sure that we're not just living our lives well, but finishing our lives well. After all, the life of a believer is a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. We have to finish our life's course well. The Apostle Paul is one who finished well, and in the New Testament, he wrote to his protege, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only me, Paul said, but also all who have loved his appearing. Amen. So if you are a lover of truth, and I've noticed lately how stubbornly so many people are hating and resisting and flat out denying truth. And if you're really a sincere person in heart, becoming a believer and becoming born again is relatively easy. All the Bible says we have to do in order to be saved is to acknowledge to God that we're sinners. And we have to be willing to repent and to turn from sin and receive by faith the free gift of eternal life that Jesus the Messiah provided for every human being by his sacrificial blood. We just can't save ourselves or do anything to qualify for salvation. We can't merit it. Instead, God gives salvation freely to anybody who recognizes the need to be saved from this corrupt generation and who will trust in the Savior alone. Right now, I urge you to put your faith and trust in Jesus while there is still time 
to call upon his saving name. Just be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe in you as my savior. As the word of God says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then be willing to say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, if you've done that, we have to just hang in there as a believer and to keep believing in a world that's increasingly hostile towards God and his people. You see, we can start well, but we also have to finish well without falling into sin or deception. I was touched recently to see a preacher who's in his 80s receiving a standing ovation when he got up to preach. The press was criticizing this man of God and accusing his congregation of idol worship. But it wasn't idolatry. The congregation were just acknowledging that he's lived his entire life in the public eye and has consistently battled for the truth of God's word without falling and without compromising. And so he's finishing well. Today, let's pray for ourselves that no matter how many days God gives us on earth, we will, by the grace of God, finish our course well without dishonoring God, without dishonoring ourselves or our families. And I pray for you today, just as I pray for myself. In the meantime, please take time to check out our website, exploits.tv, which reports on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. And at our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a library of videos 24-7. And we also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11:32, which declares, the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we're going to accomplish exploits, meaning we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. And also, I want to leave you today with thoughts from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Such important words of our Savior, where he commanded us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We might not be able to travel into all the world right now due to coronavirus restrictions. But we can go into all the world through the internet, through social media, or in our local communities. And Jesus said, whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then Jesus added that special signs are going to accompany those who believe in him and who accomplish exploits. He said, in my name, believers will drive out demons. That means that every ordinary believer can be an exorcist. Not just a priest can cast out demons. Yes, the Lord has given his supernatural power to cast out devils to every believer if we have the faith. Also in verse 17, Jesus said that believers will speak in new tongues. He was referring to our individual prayer languages, but he will even give us the ability, if we have the faith, to speak in foreign languages when we need to preach the gospel. 
I've seen this happen in my own life when my ability to speak in another tongue has been far beyond my normal capacity. Then in verse 18 in Mark chapter 16, Jesus said believers will throw down snakes with their hands. My goodness, what's he talking about? Well, he wasn't talking about people who deliberately handle snakes to tempt God. No, this is a reference to overcoming Satan and to real life events, such as what happened in the book of Acts when the apostle Paul shook off the snake that bit him on his hand on the island of Malta after Paul was shipwrecked there and he was building a fire. The snake came out of the woodwork, so to speak, because of the heat. And lots of snakes are coming out of the woodwork in these last days due to the fire and the pressure of the birth pains of Messiah. But the Lord promises a certain immunity to believers of faith because he goes on to say in this passage, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. Hallelujah. Finally, Jesus said, they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Now, I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media or on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. And until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.